2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, I'm going to discuss something that's very dear to my heart. It's called partnering with the eternal. Partnering with the eternal. We can partner with the eternal. And we understand what partnering is. Companies do it. Fortune 500 companies merge. Sometimes politicians that can't stand each other will partner for a particular cause. And, and the strength of the partnering will get a lot more accomplished than if they were alone. And scripture says that we can partner with the eternal. So let's read uh, these two verses. It says, as God's partners, we beg you not to toss aside this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, your cry came to me at a favorable time when the doors of welcome were wide open. I helped you on a day when salvation was being offered. Right now, God is ready to welcome you. Today, he is ready to save you. I love those verses because it says here that it's a marvelous message. The gospel is not a bad message. The gospel is not a hateful message. It's a good message. It says here, it's the marvelous message of God's great kindness. God's great kindness. Let's bow our heads. Father, today we celebrate this marvelous, awesome, kind message. And we thank you for the privilege of those that shared this message with us. Some are still living and some are in your presence. We celebrate them. We thank you for their faithfulness, for, those, for the faithfulness of those mothers and those churches, Lord God, that prayed for us. Lord, I even remember when I was a child, you gave me the privilege of going through the Fresh Air Fund um, to the country and to other places. I ended up in Lancaster in one of them. And this family took me in for a week and they were so kind to me. And after I was an adult, I went back to visit them just to thank them. And it was then that that lady told me, yeah, I remember when you was a child, we prayed for you. And we have been praying for you all along. And when I told them that I was a minister, it greatly rejoiced their heart because they were praying that you would bless me and that you would take me in. So Father, we thank you for the prayers of those that uh, stood with us when we couldn't stand for ourselves. Those that, have, that prayed with wisdom when we didn't understand it yet. So this morning, or rather this afternoon, we praise you. We thank you for your word. Dear Holy Spirit, I pray that you teach us. Open up the eyes of our understanding that we may see <clears throat> the very things that you are sharing with us by your grace and favor and through your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated in God's presence. Today, uh, I'm very grateful. We have some visiting pastors with us. They're not just visiting pastors, but they're ministers that were with us for a long time. Adonis and Mercy Estrada. Would you stand a moment? Just stand a moment and just, just turn around. See these pastors right now? They were ministers from our Hispanic outreach years ago. And we sent them out to pastor, and today they pastor in the west side of the Bronx. And like that, we have other uh, ministers that have come out from this family. So I I'm grateful to God. We have people um, in different parts of the world right now that are ministering to different communities. But it comes through the strength of the community. Amen? So we, we rejoice them. And they're going to later on take part in uh, the ordination ceremony. So we thank you that you're here. Amen. So. Um, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Wilkinson, some of you might know him, he's a, a distinguished author and writer and a speaker. He said this, he says, I used to see heaven as a place where I might live someday, but now I recognize that heaven is also a place where God is busy right now planning miracle appointments on earth and looking for people who will volunteer to partner with him in delivering them. 
So we can partner with God. And, you know, Scripture says that one can chase a thousand, but two could put 10,000 to flight. In other words, there's an exponential value when we come together around a given vision, around a given process that we need to have accomplished. There's power in unity. Say, say to your neighbor, there's power in unity. <clears throat> it is an established fact that married folks, they live longer, they, they're happier, and also they save more money, and they're more well-to-do than single folk. Really, in their older years, they're much more successful in general. You know, we all make jokes, especially the guys, you know, the old ball and chain. Well, you know, that old ball and chain save, saves you and, and helps you to, um, you know, save your money and not go crazy. And, and at and the end result, we see beautiful children. We see uh, unity. We see our strengths uh, that we didn't have when we were single. So I thank God for this issue of partnering. Today I want to talk about several things that leaders today must check in themselves in order to ensure ministry and life success. But this is good for each and every one of us. So I want you to take these principles and I want you to look to yourself, introspect, and see where uh, you could tweak your own life and, and your own philosophy, your own life philosophy for greater success in life. Warren wrote this one day. He said, nothing will play a bigger role in what God does through your life in the year 2011 than how you look at the world around you. It's a matter of perspective. So the first thing I want you to check is check your perspective. We can start doing the next one. All right, so check your perspective. Go to the next one. All right, so we're going to read this together. It says, uh, I already started reading it. You have a choice. You will either choose to look at your life and your ministry through eyes of faith or eyes of fear. You could look through eyes of faith or eyes of fear. You could look at life through eyes of faith or eyes of fear. Are you excited about the year 2011 or are you afraid about everything that's happening? Are you deeply engaged on what Channel 7 Eyewitness News tells you every day? If so, you're probably in kind of fear or worry or concern. Or you could choose to live by faith. From our perspective, listen, churches were built in the Great Depression. Churches are being built in countries that don't welcome Christianity. So in every scenario, in every situation, the church is prospering. Millionaires were created. Businessmen were created during the Depression. So I want to let you know that in every single scenario, it's not the circumstance that dictates your ultimate success or failure. It's your perspective of it that determines whether you go up or you go down. And so uh, Warren continued in saying, look at the situation through eyes of fear and you'll only see the giants in the land. Look at the situation through, through eyes of faith and you'll see the big God who goes before you. Which eyes are you looking through? Remember always that great churches, ministries have been built in every nation, in every type of governing system, in every financial condition. It's not about perfect conditions, but about right standing in faith. So what's your perspective today? I choose to get excited about the year 2011. I choose to be in a spirit of expectancy. I'm expecting God to do big things. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand my situation. I don't have to. Almighty God knows your situation. I know what it is to be in debt. We know what it is to be twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in debt and not look like there's any way out. But we looked not this way. We didn't look this way. We didn't even look back. We looked up. 
And we say, God, you've got to help us. You've got to give us a plan. You've got to give us some wisdom. And little by little, little, I saw God starting to give my wife and I wisdom. Sometimes I'd get the wisdom. Sometimes she'd get the wisdom. We would sit down. We'd discuss it. And little by little, we whittled away at that debt. We whittled away at the situation. We prayed together. We fasted together and we sought God together and God gave us a process that allowed us to get out of that and today I thank God we've been able to pay, pay back all our bills. We still have challenges and one of the parts of the word of the Lord that came to the church throughout the United States is there's going to be battles and blessings. Battles and blessings. So you need to understand with every blessing you get there's also going to be a corresponding battle. But you know what I love about God? He tells us in advance. In the Old Testament, he anointed uh, that king, priest, prophet David. And one day he sung, strumming on his guitar, or maybe a lyre at that time. And he said, you prepare a table in the presence of mine enemies. So he never said he'd get rid of the enemies. He just said he'd let them live enough, he'd let them live long enough to see you prospering right in their midst. Even though they don't like it too much, they have to eat it. What I always say to all my friends, what is the best revenge you can ever have against your enemies? Prosper anyway. Succeed anyway. Amen. Hallelujah. The second thing, we could go to the next one, is check the people you spend the most time with. Prophet Leal, um, a co-laborer, uh, he lives here in the United States, he once said this in one of our retreats. He said, we need three type of people around us. The first type of person is you need a Paul, somebody ahead of you. You need an older mentor, somebody that's lived longer than you. It's an absolute mistake to not listen to our senior citizens. What they forgot, you don't even know yet. Amen. Adam, old fogies don't know nothing. You know what I found out? When I was 18, my dad didn't know a thing. But by the time I was 25, it was amazing to see how much he learned during those seven years. The older you get, the more you realize how much you didn't know in your younger years. And when you look at, at those that, have, uh, that are now in their golden years, they have wisdom that if you would just sit down and listen to them, you would be able to garner life experiences that they lived so that you won't have to um, make some of the mistakes that they did. You know, it's, it's short. Life is short. You will not live long enough to make all the mistakes you need to learn all the things that you should know. So you might as well learn from other people's mistakes. So look for a Paul. Look for an older man. Look for an older woman that can mentor you and give you advice, especially in issues of marriage and issues of dating, issues of business, issues of saving. You know, the macro issues, the big issues. Don't think you're so big and bad that you don't need help from nobody. Don't think you're so big and bad you don't need advice. For those of you that don't like advice, the Bible calls you as a wonderful grace filled word for you it's called fool so let's listen to our Paul's and the second person is a Barnabas somebody aside of you that walks with you you know somebody that can open doors for you and you could open doors for them Barnabas was known as a very kind man a kind apostle Barnabas was a man that remember Paul great Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament at one point he was called Saul of Tarsus and nobody wanted to know that guy because in his private, uh, prior life, he used to get Christians imprisoned. He used to hurt Christians. He, he was trying to shut down Christianity because he did not know Christianity. He did not know the author of Christianity. And one day, Jesus challenges him, and he comes to realize, oh my God, 
I've been making a mistake, a huge mistake. So now he, he becomes a great proponent of Christianity. He becomes a great apostle. And one of the first people that God brought to his side was Barnabas. Barnabas was kind. Barnabas knew that this man, whoo, what a past he had. So when Barnabas went to bring him to the other apostles, the other apostles said, we don't want that guy around us. You, do, you, do you know who that guy is? <laughs> it's the same thing. Last, uh, last, last week I was uh, honoring uh, our pastor, my pastor, Luciano Padilla in Brooklyn. And uh, I was just sitting there enjoying. I said, in this service, I don't have to do anything. I could just sit there. So my friend, uh, uh, one of the pastors that are also here in the Bronx, Pastor uh, Salvador Sabino, he, he sits next to me. And I said, how are you doing? So it's good when we see each other. He says, Brother Victor, could you interpret for me? I went, oh, man. So I, I got up and I... I got up and I interpreted for him. I didn't want to do anything. I just want to sit there and enjoy a service. Can't I just enjoy a service every once in a while? So as he's, uh, you know, just sharing and eulogizing our pastor and, and just having a good time and I'm translating, suddenly he stops and he says, you know, Victor, remember when we were teenagers and my gang used to chase you. And I remember saying, you know, you were a bad dude when we were young. He would carry a gun. He shot folk. I mean, he was a troublemaker. He was low down, no good. You know where he found Jesus? In prison. God gave him a vision, a supernatural vision, Paul-esque type of vision. And it was in prison he came to the Lord, and now years later, we're co-laborers. But, you know, when he first came to the Lord, there were people that didn't want to hang out with him. I didn't want to hang out with him. I didn't like him very much. Same way the apostles didn't like Saul of Tarsus. But it took a Barnabas to connect them. Barnabas said, listen, please, understand. This is not the same man. He's born again. Remember the word of the Lord. Remember the cross. We have to forgive him. God's going to use him. You have to let him into the circle of fellowship. He said, all right, based on your word, we'll let this guy in. But we'll be watching. Always watching. So they let him in. And, you know, the, you read the New Testament. You see how they embraced him and how God used him mightily. But it took a Barnabas who walked aside of him. And then the third person is the younger folk, a Timothy below you, somebody that you are mentoring. You should always be mentoring somebody. You should always be helping somebody. You should always be blessing somebody. Whatever wisdom you get, share it right away. Amen. Don't take wisdom as a wisdom. Oh, I love it, I love it, I love it. Uh, what are you learning? No, 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 just for me. Don't do that. Share all the wisdom you can get. You know why? The more wisdom you share, the more God will fill you with more wisdom. So three folk we should always have. So who are you spending time with? Are the people that you're spending time with always criticizing and complaining and fighting and, uh, and, you, know, and, and you know, gossiping, bochinchando and all that other stuff? You know, you know, Spanish word, bochinche, gossip. It sounds better in Spanish, bochinche. You know, in English, it's so proper, gossip. But it's just... <laughs> We have to be careful about people like that because the same people that will criticize others with you are the same type of folk that will criticize you in other circles. Uh, some of you are going, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, I know very well, yeah, 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 yeah. Then the, the third uh, thing we need to check is check the material, the thoughts, the ideas, the philosophies. Let's go to the next one. Do we? Go back a second. Okay, I missed that one. I'm sorry. Stay there. I'll read it to you. Check the material, the insights, the thoughts, and philosophies you read and study. 
Very important. What do you read? Now you can go to the next one. Okay. Bishop Matera one time shared this about kings in the Old Testament, and I loved it because it, it talks about how kings had to protect themselves. They had to keep themselves. And the first thing they had to keep, just stay right there, the first thing they had to keep was they were not allowed, or rather foreigners were not allowed to serve as kings. You, can't, you couldn't have a foreigner serve as a king. You had to be a son. And when you look at the scriptures in the New Testament, it says you have to be born again in the kingdom of God in order to be effective in ministry. So kings had to be naturally born in that setting in order to be effective as kings. The Bible calls us kings and priests unto our God. When we come to saving faith in Christ, one of the things God does, we don't do this, God does, is he births us again in his kingdom and then he calls us kings and priests. So if you look at the analogy of how kings had to watch themselves, they first had to be sons of the kingdom in order to be effective. The second thing is kings would not be able to acquire many horses for themselves. That's found in Deuteronomy 17, 16. Okay, you got it there. Notice this. Kings must not acquire many horses for themselves. And why? Well, in the Bible, horses represent pride and strength. Thus, God is warning his leaders not to acquire possessions that symbolize their elitism and thus raising themselves higher than their people in their congregation. So in the same token, we in the ministry, of course, we have to be very careful. I can choose to ride um, a Bentley if I want, but in ministry, I choose not to. Why? That's not the message I'm sending. You understand? So today, unfortunately, there are many ministers getting involved in an ultra-prosperity kind of, of, of gospel that sometimes detracts from the gospel message. And we have to be very careful as ministers and as people of God. I'm not saying we can't have a good car, but I'm just saying be careful the message that you are sending. I am not better than you. You're not better than me. We're all children of God, and we're all kings and priests unto the Lord. Now... It is true that there are people that are more prosperous than others in their personal dealings. For example, yeah, let me just throw out one so you could understand where I'm coming from. A person like T.D. Jakes, for example, he's pastor of a very large church. And according to the national averages, a pastor that would uh, pastor a church of over $2,000 is expected to get a very decent salary. He's a CEO of a major organization. So you figure $200,000, $300,000, uh, these men get paid very well. But what about a pastor that gets paid $5 million from his church? See, that's off balance now because it's a not-for-profit organization. A person like T.D. Jakes, he, besides his ministry, he gets paid from his ministry a set salary, but now he writes books. He's on TV. He makes movies. So he'll make money from that. It's not from the church. You see my point? So we need to be very careful when we see that. Is that minister getting, you know, um, fleecing the sheep, in other words? Are we taking all the money from the ministry, or do they have other businesses aside of that that allow them to prosper? That's what we need to check, and, and, and not be hateful toward ministers that are prosperous because they're entrepreneurs. But watch it. If we're generating it from ministry alone, we have to be very careful and send the right message. You get my point there? I want to be very careful because I'm not anti-prosperous. Uh, you can prosper, but let's be very careful the message that we are sending. Another thing, kings... Um, let me just go to the next one. You have it up here in your, in your overhead. Kings shall not acquire for themselves excessive silver or gold. Deuteronomy 17, 17. There are some 
Christian leaders, once again, that live lavishly and receive an inordinate amount of compensation from their churches. But kings in the Old Testament were not allowed to acquire for themselves excessive silver or gold. In other words, they can gain it, but bring it back into community, bring it back into their country that they serve. Like right now, we see countries, you know, Saddam Hussein years ago, he had stolen all the gold from his country. He might take a little bit of it, but leave the majority for the country. No, this king decided to take it all himself. No, no, no. We need to make sure that the country is healthy. And as churches, we need to make sure that the church is healthy. Bibles are being bought. Um, missionaries are being sent out. Right now, the average missionary that's, that gets sent out by the church lives very poorly. It's, there's not a commensurate type of finance that goes toward the missionaries that depend upon the local churches. Why? Because there's not enough many times. Or because the finances are not being used adequately. So next thing. The kings shall both write and read the word of God all the days of their lives. Huh, interesting. You want to be a good king? Read the word of God each and every day. Christian leaders are required by God to be people of the book. Today we're ordaining several leaders. They're going to be required by God and by this local church to be ministers of the book. We're, we're to focus on scriptures, understand the important doctrines of the church and the Bible, and be able to apply all of this to our personal lives, families, churches, and the surrounding cultures. How many leaders we know today that know everything about sports pages? They know everything about the Jets and the Giants. I'm still sad. I'm still in pain. But I'm not only focusing on that. I focus on the book. It's not a problem to know about what Wall Street is thinking, but be a man, be a woman of the book. Next thing, the hearts of kings shall not be lifted up above their brothers. In other words, I am better than you. Have you ever met anybody like that? I am better than you? What do you think about people like that? Some of you going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So somebody, what, what? Oh, somebody said, I work for that one. They think they're better than you. Well, in ministry, we are not. We are not permitted to take that posture. When we view leadership as a position, as a title, as a status above others in our faith communities, then we're missing the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ, the high calling of God, and we're acting just like the world just like those that don't know the word, the word of God. The world has leaders who lord their authority over the subjects, but this is the opposite of what Jesus taught his apostles. The higher we go, the lower we go. The higher we want to go, the more people we're going to serve. We become the servant of all. Fourth thing. Next. Remember that your job and message affects people for eternity. This job is more important than Trump's job. I didn't get one amen. I say your job is more important than Trump's job. Because when you, when you talk to people about the eternal, you're connecting them with Almighty God. That not only impacts them now, that, but that impacts them for eternity. I remember my dad telling me a story. His grandma, my great-grandma, uh, she uh, got very sick. Uh, she used to smoke cigars, and she used to chop anybody up. I mean, tough woman, tough woman in Puerto Rico. And uh, she got very sick because, you know, booze and, I mean, just tough woman. And on the operating table, she died. <clears throat> and they worked on her and they were able to get her back again. But during that moment, she had a supernatural experience. 
And she said during that time, she went up to heaven and the Lord says, not your time yet. You're to dedicate the rest of your life, helping people, blessing people, and you're going to serve me from this moment on. I mean, it's the weirdest experience. So she went down, learned about the word, um, and, and she became a, a great vessel for God. And she said, you know, son, she would tell my dad, son, you're going to have a, a son. The Lord tells me you're going to have a son and he's going to follow my ways. And make sure you, you help him. Make sure you bless him. Make sure you give him everything he needs because he's going to follow my ways. Meanwhile, <clears throat> my dad didn't know what she was talking about. He says, what's that? What are you saying? Years later, I was born and, of course, I grew up. And I came to church first. He didn't come to church. I came to church. I got saved first. Later on, when he saw that they ordained me as a minister, he said, whoa. He remembered about that word that his grandmother, my great-grandmother, told him. And he says, now I realize how important her ministry was. You know, she would talk things to people, like if she knew things. She, he didn't know it was a spirit of prophecy. It was a word of knowledge, word of wisdom. The job that we do is, might not make you a billion dollars, but it'll help connect somebody for eternity with Almighty God. And that's more important, because a, a billion dollars here means nothing in heaven. You cannot buy your way into heaven. There's one door, and the door is Jesus Christ. See, so your job is more important than that of Trump's. It's more important than uh, Steve Jobs. It's more important than Bloomberg. It's more important than any of these guys. Your job is the most important job. And as ministers, I salute you. As deacons, as ushers, I salute you. Sunday school teachers, whatever you do, uh, sound system, I am so excited because this sound is being sent to more people that are in this room. That's more important than that of a billionaire. Amen. Come on, give him a hand clap. Thank God for this. We're partnering with Almighty God. Next. Next. It's good. Okay. Check how, uh, check how you're handling personal temptations. Very important because all of us go through it. Jesus went through it. And I love it. The Bible says that before Jesus went into active ministry, God the Father, by the Holy Ghost, sent him into the desert to be tempted of the devil. The Holy Spirit sent him into the desert place to be tempted. Isn't that interesting? God will always allow you to be tempted and tested because it tests your ability to withstand times of trials in ministry. If you cannot go through this process, you will not be effective in ministry. First point is, are, how are we using our abilities? Are you using your abilities to make lots of money and be influential and be the man? Or are you using your abilities to help others? Now, I'm not saying that you cannot use your abilities to take care of your family. What I am saying is your abilities are more than, are more than for yourself only. It hurts me many times when I see the young men and women talented in the house of the Lord. They grow up, maybe they're a good uh, a singer. Maybe they develop this rap thing and they, they do very well. And then they take it to the street. And they take it and they get, uh, quote unquote, discovered. And they leave the church. And go out there and then talk about shooting cops and hurting women and mistreating children. Whatever it might be. The most hateful things. Or they go into this rock thing. And then they get lost. They become prodigal sons and daughters. They use their gifts upon themselves and in the process lose everything. No, people, let's not take our giftings and abuse those giftings and just use them, heap them upon ourselves. Let's use them to bless humanity. The more we use our gifts to bless humanity, the more God will increase us and the more, more influential we'll be in touching people in eternity and for eternity. 
Hallelujah. The next thing is, are we always trying to take shortcuts and avoid mentorship, training, and instruction? That was me. When I was younger, I didn't want to go through that and through that. I just wanted to get there right away. I know here, nobody does that. The church down the road, they're always doing that. But over here, not you. You want to go through first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. No, no. listen, especially if you're young, you don't think you have to go through several processes. You don't think you have to go through mentorship or training and instruction. And meanwhile, you slam yourself against the wall. And then when you peel yourself off the wall, you're going, oh, God, why did you forget me? God, excuse me, I didn't forget you. You just didn't receive instruction. You just went your way, did whatever you wanted, you refused to get any instruction, and so you're slammed against the wall. This process is very important. As you're growing up in God, God's going to give you Paul's. Male and female mentors are going to help you. The next thing, are you always trying to do it your way instead of God's way? has to be my way or the highway. Have you ever heard that? Well, sometimes it's not going to be your way. Even in business, you know that. How many of you just, you know, you, you have challenges many times with your supervisors? Because you know the right way. But your, your supervisor says, no, it's going to be this way. You go, no, it has to be my way, my way, my way. No, you're going to have to learn to compromise sometimes. Really. You're not going to get it your way all the time. And I find the more richer we are, the more influential we are, we want it our way all the time. No, no. You're not always going to get it your way. Jesus prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, does it have to be this way? Is there any other way? And then immediately he says, no. Not my will be done. Your will be done. And you're going to find in ministry that many times you want it done a certain way. Or many times you don't want to. I mean, two in the morning, you get a call, an emergency. Suddenly what happens? Your flesh rises up. Don't pick that phone up. So you go through that crisis. Your flesh is fighting, but your spirit man knows something's wrong. You need to pick up that phone. Maybe somebody needs prayer. Maybe you need to visit the hospital. Uh, you go, yes. Emergency, emergency. Okay. Not my will, Lord. Your will be done. Amen. And you're going to find in ministry that happens a lot. And then the last one is, are you more interested in fame and fortune or the eternal? I am sad to say that a lot of the church today, a lot of churches, a lot of ministers have missed it. And they're focusing on fame and fortune. Or they're focusing on having plenty versus focusing on the eternal. Sometimes the eternal will take you through the desert place before you ever get to the plenty. Really. And, and who's to say that Mother Teresa was not successful? She was very successful. Because that was her mission. But her mission was to live among poor folk. So how is she going to be driving a Bentley in, that, in Calcutta? So her prosperity was suffering. And the more she suffered, the more she spent time with the poor folk, and the more she got food and, and took care of these poor folk, suffered right with them, the more successful she was. And there were times in her biography, there were times that she would question her faith. Say, am I doing the right thing? Is this worth it? She would go to her ministers. I, I, I don't feel anything right now. I'm, I feel empty. Pray for me. Really, she went through struggles. Because it's hard to live a whole life like that. She wanted to go home and just be a normal person. But ministry continued to compel her. There was always another poor person. There was another, always another hurting person, another leper, or whatever it may be. But she decided to stay the course. And today, look at her legacy. She thought more about the eternal than the now. And ultimately, the gospel is not about fame and fortune. 
The gospel is reminding you that you are eternal beings living a temporary existence. Today you're something, but tomorrow people will forget you. Who was that famous millionaire in the 1800s? Who's that guy? Anybody? 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 You see what I mean? We forget people right away. The Bible says we're like grass. We grow up and we're beautiful and we're green. And then at midday the sunlight hits it and it just withers away and dies. Yet we focus so much on the now. Oh, if I could just get that now, I'd be happy for the rest of my life. Lie. Deceit. You'll forget it. We're just like children. How many of you have children here? Christmas time. Isn't that an amazing time when children first get the toys? Oh, they, they break open. Oh, no, it's just what I always wanted. Yay. And then one week later, it's in the closet never to be seen again. We grow up and we act the same way. Today, we're famous. Tomorrow, we're not recognized. I mean, don't you love Carol Lombard? I got one. I got one year. Everybody else, who in the world? Carol Lombard. That's an actress, a great actress from yesteryear. Cary Grant. All these people. We, we don't, uh, I, you know, if I have a chance to watch one of those really old flicks or a new one, I tend to gravitate to the newer ones. When I'm in one of these melancholy moods, then I'll go see It's an Incredible Life or It's a, what's that? It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, but when I'm melancholy, I'll watch that. I'll sit there, you know, with ice cream and chips and stuff. <laughs> then I'll feel a little better at it. But mostly, I want something new. I want, I want Transformers 4. But it's the same thing with people. It's the same thing with things. Today, it's exciting. Tomorrow, it's gone. Today, you're famous. Tomorrow, you're nothing. The message of the eternal is greater. Jesus said, where I am, you will be also. We're here 50, 70, 90 years. Then, we're, then we go with Almighty God. It's a short time. I mean, I'm in my 50s now. I was just 18 just yesterday. What happened? Who did the fast forward thing? <laughs> it goes so quickly. But yet we focus so much on the short, little, small things. God looks at it and goes, my son, my daughter, why are you killing yourself for that? Enjoy your family, enjoy your friends, be a mentor, make sure you're thinking future generations all the time. Be an investor, not a consumer. Think eternally. And lastly, how will our families and friends view this local expression of the body of Christ? How will people see Calvary Christian Fellowship? And for those of you that belong to other local churches that you're visiting today, how will people view your local church today, next year, in the coming years, next is the congregation excited to be a part of the service? You know, are, are we excited about Calvary? Amen. Praise God. So, not only we have to be excited about the eternal, we have to be excited about this expression of the body of Christ. And those of you that belong to other congregations, just, just uh, I was there last week in my pastor's congregation, and one of the members who were visiting here, they saw me and said, Pastor Victor, I turned around and said, oh, how you doing? They're members there now. And, and so he told me this morning, he said, I'm so spoiled, because, you know, they have four TVs on the altar. The altar's real huge, four TVs. That's where they show all their stuff. And, and they have lights and stuff. I said, well, we're in process. Amen. So we're, just, we're just practicing now. Amen. Because our next place is going to be large. Amen. Amen. But you know, we, 
Praise God. He's excited about his church. Amen. And so am I. I'm excited about Bay Ridge over there. The thing is, I live here and God called me here, so I have to be here. So I'm going to get excited about this. Amen. Glory to God. Number two, will our friends see a generous community? The people of Macedonia, when Paul was talking about Macedonia, they were very poor folk. But yet they were very gracious and generous. When, when, when Jerusalem had a problem, they gave. They gave beyond their means to make sure their brothers and sisters in Christ were uh, blessed. So are we a generous community? Do people that come here, even anonymously, do you bless others in this congregation? We have to adopt that. We have to be excited for Jesus, excited for our community, and we also have to be excited to be able to bless somebody else. Is there effective leadership? Do we have a good Ephesians 4 model? This pastor was sharing it in, in one of his blogs, and I, I like the concept, so I put it there. Do we have a good Ephesians 4 model? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. People that are loving God by going out there and sharing the gospel. People that are loving God, so they're shepherding and pastoring. People that are loving God, so they're teaching. See, apostles, prophets, evangelists. Apostles go and start other churches. Prophets share the heart of God. Do we have a good Ephesians 4 model? Well, if we don't, we're in process. Amen? Amen. Next. And this is the last slide, I promise. Nobody said amen. All right, that's good. You're listening. Some of my messages go, oh, amen, glory to God. It's the last one. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Wow, you're listening. All right. You got to come next week. <laughs> Are we preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with a sound biblical worldview? That's a challenge, you know. Because so many, I mean, I hear so many ministers and they preach. You know, I, I like this guy sometimes, uh, Joel Osteen. I like him. I, I, you know, he's, he's just very likable. He comes on TV, goes, God bless you. <laughs> Victoria and I, we just love you. I mean, I, what's not to like? But yet there are people that criticize him in the kingdom of God, the ministers, because he doesn't get into some of the more deep uh, theological components that churches should be learning about. His thing is uh, much of feel good, you could do better today, let this be your best year ever. And while that's important, that's not the most important. I want you to be able to live throughout a crisis. I want you to be able to prize, uh, prosper, uh, yes, today, but I want you to know you're an eternal being. And there are eternal principles and the anointing of God is upon you, not just to feel good. Because the gospel is not about just feeling good. Jesus Christ did not feel good on the cross of Calvary. I guarantee you that. And many times in ministry, you will go through challenges, and we need to prepare you for that too. So that's very important. Uh, are we a welcoming and friendly congregation? <laughs> I saw some of you. Well, are we? <laughs> well, you know, we have to adopt that because as people come in, you know, people come to churches, they're afraid or they're nervous. Oh, man, I haven't been to church in like 50 years. So they're coming for the first time. Just the other week, a lady came here, and at the end of the service, she told me, she says, oh, I didn't know what to expect. I am so grateful. You people treated me so nicely. So I commend each and every one of you, all of the ushers, all of the members. I commend you because she had a very good experience in church, and that gave her a, a, a warmness that uh, would attract her to a future service. So we have to have that. I mean, sometimes you go to church, and you, you find the most grumpiest people. God bless you. How are you? It's a good day, isn't it? Oh, it's good about it. Bless God. Hallelujah. I mean, it's, it almost doesn't go, you know? The faith sometimes doesn't go with the praise. 
we really have to lighten up and, and just allow the joy of the Lord, which by the way, it says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. It doesn't say the grumpiness of the Lord is my strength. It says the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad. I'm going to celebrate in Him. I'm going to come to church and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in Him. Hallelujah. I'm going to dance in His presence. And glory to God. I'm going to smile more. Because I have something to smile about. Jesus loves me. Amen. All right, somebody, somebody actually cracked a smile. Somebody went. You're, you're working on my, my brother. I'm happy to see that. You're halfway there, and all you need is the other half. <laughs> Will we be evangelistic this year? Absolutely. It's, it, you know, too many churches are insular, and by that I mean we just, us four and no more. It almost, it's almost like we have a sign outside, nobody else welcome. You know, we're happy with the family we have. We don't need you here. Bless God. God bless you. Amen. Have a great life. No, we have to be open. We have to be inclusive. Everybody is welcome. Come and be blessed and hear the word of the Lord. Glory to God. And be blessed in his presence. Will we minister to a variety of age groups this year? We tend to be a pretty young congregation. But I tell the worship leaders, I tell them, listen, every once in a while, throw one of these old coritos, you know? These old historic hymns. I mean, I appreciate Hillsong. I appreciate all these new guys. And, uh, what, third day? Well, what are some of the newer guys out there? Oh, of course, Israel. I love Israel. Yeah, amen. But every once in a while, throw me a cannoli. <laughs> a Ron cannoli, you know? <laughs> you know, throw me you know, some from the 60s. You know, the, the older generation will love it and appreciate it. And I love the, the ensalada of coritos. You know, where we go into one after another. I love that. That's my generation. I'm from the 60s and the 70s. Amen. Praise God. Somebody said amen. Glory to God. Amen. Somebody appreciated what I just said. You just exposed your age. <laughs> and lastly, can the world see Jesus when they see us? Can the world see Jesus when they see us? Too many Christians are secret service Christians. Really, uh, you're so deep, undercover, nobody knows you're a Christian. Not even God knows you're a Christian. That's how bad, how deep you are. You are deep, deep, deep undercover. We need to be, you know, you need to let your light shine. Jesus said it this way. He said, let your light shine. Don't hide it underneath the table. Put it out on the highest place. On the highest place of the city so that the world can see your light shine. And light is symbolic of revelation. Light is symbolic of knowledge. When, when, when you get something, an understanding, you go, oh, I see the light now. What you're saying is, I understand it now. Light brings understanding. So when we share our Christianity, when we share our testimony, when we share the word of the Lord, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. We're letting our light shine. Amen. So say to your neighbor, it's time to let your light shine. Everybody else is coming out of the closet, you know. Everybody else. I mean, everybody. People love stones. They love whales. You know, I mean, that's, it's amazing what people, they, they, they give money to, they give time to, they dedicate their lives to saving the bear, the polar bears now. The polar bears, that's a big thing. Save the polar bear. I'm not getting it. The polar bear is just fine. But yet, so many of us that have the word of the Lord, the eternal word of the Lord, we're hiding it. We're not sharing it. So 
can the world see Jesus when they see us? And to each and every person here, I said, that's the most important thing. For you to come to a saving personal relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. It's not becoming a member of a local church. You're becoming a member of the body of Christ. You're becoming a member of the church universal. And of course, you go to the local church that you feel called to be at. But the most important thing is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that births you anew into his kingdom. He's the one that seals you. The Bible says those that come to Christ are sealed for the day of redemption. You're actually marked. You're marked. It has happened to me that people have come to me and go, I see an aura around you. I see you are marked. Yeah, they've, they've told me that. People that are sensitive in the spirit could actually read that. I don't understand how they do it. I just know that they do. There's some people come to, oh, no, I can't touch people like you. You've got that thing on you. What's that thing? But I know exactly what it is. It's a spiritual mark. In the Old Testament, um, the devil goes up to God's presence because even he had to report to heaven. And then God tells him, what are you doing? What are you doing this morning? Well, I'm going to and fro the earth. So he's, um, then God says to him, says, you see my son Job? Righteous man, loves me, eschews evil. He's a good man. You know what the devil told him? The devil told him, of course. You marked him. You protect him. There's a hedge of protection around him. I can't touch the guy. David said this, he says that angels are encamping around us and protect us and guard us. So things happen to us, but it could have been a lot worse. Some of us complain, oh man, I got that fender bender. Maybe God protected you for an all-out, head-on assault. We're here today. This is the day. We will rejoice. Hallelujah. Come on, praise Him. Hallelujah. So bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for, once again, for this beautiful day. And we thank you for your kindness in Christ. And today, as we take out this moment to share your word and to allow your light to shine in this place, I pray that you open up the eyes of the understanding of each and every individual here today, that they might be able to see your love for them, that they might be able to see how precious it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. It's about a personal relationship. And I thank you, Father, that you loved us enough that you came in flesh. You loved us enough. You cared for us enough to cause the greatest reboot in mankind. That is that all men were sinners born from Adam, but through Christ Jesus, we belong now to a new generation, a new breed of human beings, a new breed of mankind, a forgiven breed, a breed that uh, is brand new, where our sins are forgiven, and we effectively become the family of God and partners and co-laborers with you. So thank you, Lord God, for the privilege that you give us to partner with you in the eternal. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.